Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good morning, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Dave Thompson. I am the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. And yes, you are here for episode 10 Yesterday uh, afternoon, we uh, taped uh, our ninth session of season four. So it is a Friday morning, the 21st of February. And with me again today is Bill Fellows. Bill, say hi. How are you guys doing out there? Good to, good to have you here. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it's hard to believe that it's been a month since we talked last time, Bill. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> That's the older I get, the faster the time goes. Now, let's not talk about getting old, Bill, because, I mean, that just makes me really feel bad. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing about it is, is uh, time does go by. But, you know, whenever we talk about chemical safety and technicians, um, it's a very interesting and extremely hot topic right now. Uh, next week, um, Daryl Hicks will be with, with me, and we're going to be talking about infection prevention, the coronaviruses and viruses as a whole and everything. Chemical safety is a huge thing right now, Bill. Um, yeah, I'm doing SIMS assessments and we had like four we're, we've done since we were on the last broad podcast. And uh, a very common thing that I'm finding when I get out there is that the people just don't appreciate what has to be done to truly disinfect a surface. So are we going to talk about that today or something else? I think so, because that's, uh, since it's so common, I'd like to, to make sure people understand what has to be done. There, uh, several things are, are involved that uh, aren't happening out there in the field all the time. Uh, the first is to when you select whatever disinfectants you plan on using, you need to be fully aware of whatever that dwell time or contact time is. And I've learned that a lot of them don't even have a clue how long it has to be on the surface. Okay. So for those listeners that just may be joining us, I see we have about uh, four or five people that are joining us live this morning. Thank you very much. So explain to the people who just come on, what does contact or dwell time mean? And is there is a difference? Uh, what happens is the chemical has to have time to do its job. And uh, for different chemicals, that's a different amount of time. And it's even different for uh, the type of viruses or bacteria that you're trying to destroy. And a lot of the cleaners out there simply don't appreciate how long that dwell time needs to be. They do, it's on the labels. It's always there, but they have no clue. 
So when they make the application, it's not truly getting full contact time as necessary to truly disinfect. Now, when you walk by and look at the surface, it's clean. And the only way you can really test that is with a black light. And, and most companies simply don't do that. Well, I think this is a hot topic, and we're going to talk about this in a lot of depth on Thursday next week. Bill, what's the other thing that you're finding? I mean, you're doing SIMS assessments, you said, in the last month. Is is this just a general practice by everybody, or are we just talking to a few people? No, I'm finding that it seems to be uh, systemic to, to the uh, companies. Um, when we do a SIMS assessment, part of it includes watching people do the job. And when I do that, I require that the on-site supervisor and typically an area manager that's with us has to watch what I watch and hear what I hear. So uh, they're not allowed to interfere during the discussion. They can't step in and say that's the wrong answer or you're doing this wrong. They're just supposed to watch the people. And uh, it's amazing to me how many of those supervisors are surprised to find that their people aren't doing things the way they were instructed to do it. So can I ask a question? Sure. Do they even know what the right process is? That's the thing. Most, uh, most of them do, because I, before I go out and talk to, them, to the people and watch the people, I quiz the supervisor. And I ask him, how's this supposed to be done? In writing, it says very specifically how things are supposed to be done. But the, uh, the reality is that it's not happening that way. And like I said, it's, it's truly a surprise to the supervisor to see it's not being followed. So are we talking about the process or are we talking about that the people aren't using the chemicals safely for their own Self. I mean, we're talking about chemical safety today, so uh, a disinfectant kills stuff. What should they be doing? Well, several things they do correctly <clears throat> is they, uh, they're usually always wearing their PPE. I rarely find a case where that's not true. And uh, what would that be? <clears throat> well, in the case of when you're dealing with chemicals, yeah, at least gloves, and if you're... Uh, going to be doing any spraying or where it could be splashing and safety glasses. In my personal opinion, when I had my company, safety glasses are required all the time. But I, you can't make people do that, and OSHA doesn't even demand it. OSHA just says, look at your risk, and you determine what PPE is required. Um, and so, Bill, you know, so, Bill, one of the things I do is I always talk about here at the Academy, I, I give out what I call best practice, what we have found to be best practice to give them, um, I guess, a goal to shoot for. So if you're talking about gloves, what would you say would be the best practice in choosing a glove? Well, it depends. Some people are, have uh, allergies to uh to the latex, so that's a problem. But there are other forms of gloves out there, nitrols and others, that will do the, the job of protecting them. Um, 
if you use disposable gloves, then you're, you're changing them every time you move from one area to another. If you use the uh, more durable gloves, then you're required to uh, clean those and wash your hands completely with the gloves on and that when you're finished with one area before you move to another. I think that's a very good point, Bill, and you said that very accurately. You know, and, and what is going on in our environment in infection prevention right now, this is extremely important for people to understand that a disposable glove is not something that you can wash with soap and water and go on because chemicals and other things penetrate into that material. It's not like a washable rubber glove. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, there's the little things that, that aren't taught very well often out in the field. So you also said um, goggles or face shield. What about airborne and some of the, because some of what we're talking about here in the next week or so is actually airborne viruses. So what should I be wearing as far as, PPE, when I'm talking chemical safety, um, the virus may be airborne, but is the chemical airborne? Oh, it's absolutely airborne, it's especially if they're applying it through a, a spray bottle, which I personally do not recommend. But in fact, I try to encourage everybody I talk to to move away from that. But Amen, uh, brother. Preach on. <laughs> so... What I encourage people to do is to forget about the trigger sprayer. It's got a lot of troubles. First of all, they wear out very quickly. You're always replacing them. Uh, from an ergonomic standpoint, that can really wear down on a person pulling that trigger all the time to spray a surface. And from a, from a coverage standpoint, if you look across an area after you've sprayed a surface, uh, there's at least 40% uh, of the area has no chemical on it at all. And the people think letting that sit there, they're getting their dwell time. Well, the dwell time is only where it's wet. Uh, <laughs> so. This is so, I mean, you know, we're talking about chemical safety, Bill, but then it is, we can't just stop with chemical safety because then it goes into how we use the chemicals. And, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah, you're talking about PPE, but I've, I just find it very interesting how you and I just can't stop and just talk about the safety part of it because we go right into the process because nobody's doing it right. Yeah. And, uh, and also if they spray into the cloth, which was a recommendation through green seal that you use a coarse spray into the cloth, rarely is the cloth saturated well enough to, to put enough chemical on the surface to stay active during its dwell time. It'll, it'll dry out before it's done its job. Okay, so the audience is probably sitting here listening, going, all right, so you mean I've been doing it wrong all this time? Bill, 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 tell me what I should be doing right. If there's a couple of, of areas that can, can work. One is uh, we they're called charging stations. It's where you, you lay your microfiber claws into a container and add your disinfectant and it's just like pulling wipes out of a, a baby wipes out of that container they're always a fresh one and they've got the 
full strength of the chemicals on it. And when you've used all eight sides of your microfiber, then you you pitch it in to be recleaned, and you grab another one, so you always have fresh uh, disinfectant. An alternative to that is to use a flip top instead of a spray bottle, and in your hand, go ahead and saturate the cloth the same way. You don't want it drippy wet, but you want it wet enough that it allows it to be there for the entire dwell time. And dwell time can be anywhere from a minute to 10 minutes, depending on the, the chemical that you're using and the uh, viruses that you're trying or bacteria that you're trying to kill. I think you read my article on LinkedIn called Ban the Sprayer. <laughs> no, I've just been out in the field long enough that I see it just doesn't work. So. Well, you know, and, and, and this proves a point, Bill. Those of us that have been doing this for some time and watch people do this, and we're looking at more than just the routine of what we've done, we're actually looking at chemical safety. And it's not just the product that you're using, it's how we're using it mainly. I mean, yes, we're going to talk about the chemical itself, but you go back to this and most of what we're talking about is protecting ourselves as we use a chemical. It doesn't matter what the chemical is. That's true. And that's, uh, I just got kind of aggravated this past month and seeing how frequently it's done wrong and trying to get that across to people. And uh, some listen, some don't. It's just how it is when you get out there. But um, I try to encourage supervisors right now, they tend to follow their people around, and if the place looks nice, then it's been done. In the case of, of actually disinfecting a surface, which goes to the safety of not only the, the cleaners but the users of the, of the facility, uh, that's not an indicator. So I talked to the supervisors, and instead of managing the result, start managing the process. Uh, like I said, when they watch with me, some of them are just, they're just str struck down by, by how little the people are following the, the process that was put into place. But everybody just falls into whatever they've used, they're used to doing unless you change that habit. So you have to work with them to understand how to, to handle these things safely and get the job done that has to be done. Folks, I just wanted to tell you right now that our podcast today is on Podbean Live. We are sponsored here at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence by Jim Supply where they have been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. Yes, that's quite a while. That's about, well, I don't know. That's what, over 80 years? So folks, we're talking today with Bill Fellows. We're talking about chemical safety and I didn't know we were gonna go into processes, but that's where we're at. So Bill, whenever you're doing a SIMS assessment and, and they fall short on the processes, that's one thing. We talked about the gloves that they should have. We talked about having goggles, but when it comes to a mask, what should they be wearing? Well, right now, there are people out there who believe that if they put a mask on, it'll protect them from the vapors, and that's simply not true. Um, 
a dust mask or a particle mask, that's what it's for. Now, there are special masks that can be used to deal with the vapors. Um, it will keep uh, the wet part off, but it won't prevent you from inhaling whatever's out there. So uh, when I hear them say that they use a mask, and it's because it, it helps with the smell of the chemicals, uh, they're not truly getting that kind of protection. That's not how that mask works. So you're, you're, you're saying that these cloth masks that we see that's got all these you know, nice you know, fuzzy colored prints on them and, and everything, that those cloth masks that we see people wearing aren't doing anything for them? They aren't doing anything when it comes to vapors. They're, it's very clear that they're a particle mask. So if you're dusting high or someplace where you're in an environment with a lot of dust, it'll protect your airways in that regard. Uh, but it doesn't do anything for vapors. The vapors can penetrate right through that. This is very critical, folks. If you're listening on our podcast live today or on the recorded, this is extremely critical because a lot of the viruses that we're going to be talking about infection prevention, the these paper masks that people are putting on and that you see the media talking about and you see in all of these videos and everything, um, I guess I'm just going to have to say this, Bill, it's fake news. Yeah, there's a, uh, there was an article or uh, newscast that came out about that on ABC that explained that that didn't do anything to protect you from getting the virus because uh, the virus is transmitted through touch and not through, through the breathing so much. But uh, it, it is a false sense of security. So I think this goes back to what we're talking about, Bill, when we talk about chemical safety and the processes that frontline technicians and some supervisors, owners of companies, what, I mean, are we just not giving people enough time to do the job professionally or correctly? Is this why we're making these shortcuts? I mean, it's like you said, it's on the label and the supervisors know it. What's, what's the problem? It comes down to, to the people uh, I haven't had a problem with a company saying we don't have time to do that. That's never been in the discussion because if they follow the steps the way they're written down, the dwell time is met in a restroom before they get to the point of, of opening it back up because you have plenty of time while the floor is being floor is drying for everything else to dry on the surfaces. So it doesn't, it doesn't adversely impact time. They still wipe the surfaces down. They simply don't have enough chemical on it to do the job. So uh, it isn't a case of uh, it adversely affects the time of the job. <clears throat> so it's a case of getting the education out that the dwell time has to be met. Fortunately, right now, they've, they've made a lot of improvements in uh, cleaning with water that has a... Uh, disinfectant, an acid that comes out as a disinfectant that only requires 60 seconds or less to do the kill. Um, and that's, that's proving to be helpful for people who are using that, that methodology. And it reduces our chemical usage altogether into something much safer. Now, it seems like we, we, we went 
completely over on to the other side of infection prevention today, folks, and that's because it's the hot topic right now. But when we talk about chemical safety, uh, you know, I have a cleaning 101 class I'm doing for a dozen individuals next week, and we're just talking basic window cleaning, basic neutral cleaner, multi-purpose cleaner. What we're talking about, does dwell time have anything to do with all of that, Bill? Uh, typically not, unless you're dealing with a surface that requires some kind of soaking. Um, floor finishes, as an example, they have to have some dwell time for it to break up the, the, uh, the floor finish. Also, if you happen to have a heavily soiled floor, uh, after you've done some scraping and sweeping, you usually have to let the, the solution sit on it for a while before it'll break it loose and you can get it up off the floor. Uh, but typically, dwell time isn't an issue for floors that are maintained well and surfaces that are maintained on a regular basis where you're not coming in and trying to restore them back where they've been neglected for a long period of time. You know, when it comes to chemical safety, I have, a, um, you know, personally, there's a huge issue for me when it comes to floor strippers. Uh, I am completely adverse to them unless you absolutely have to. And then not using one that's over uh, a 10 pH, definitely. And whenever I've been teaching classes here at the academy, and you mentioned education, which is extremely important. Many of these people using chemicals or buying chemicals, having them stored, they have no idea what pH means when it comes to chemical safety. Yeah, I run into that a lot as well. And I, the class that I teach on the uh, seven SDS terms that every uh, custodian should know and understand, one of those is the pH scale, how it works, the chemistry of cleaning and, and what we have to look out for when we're doing that. Um, and I've also noted uh, in there that a lot of people, companies that buy chemicals don't actually read the sheets to know what's going to interact with another chemical they have in the, in the stores. So I've seen it parked right next to one another on a shelf and on the worst yet on the cart when they're out working. You mean we're supposed to read caution statements? Well, it's not recommended, I guess, but. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you, you'd think it'd be a given, but it's just not. So you do SIMS certifications and, and surveys. Uh, um, what about, you know, I, I hear people say, well, you know, we're, we're all good. We don't have complaints. There's no big deal. OSHA hasn't come by. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that's the guy who's playing the Russian roulette and then each time spins the, the revolver and hopes it doesn't land on a bullet. Someday it's going to. But uh, they, they need to just pay more attention to everything that's involved for the safety of their people and the safety of the customers. Um, like closets are supposed to be locked so general population doesn't have access to that. And we'll go in and find that the door's not locked. Well, then that's that's a safety issue because somebody who has no training whatsoever in those chemicals walks in and looks at something and says, oh, I think that'll work. And they grab it and start using it. 
sometimes incorrectly, and uh, they either damage surfaces or they can cause health problems for themselves or others around them. Uh, it's a, it's just a, there's just a big circle of issues when it comes to chemical safety that are so, sometimes neglected out in the field. So is there any other point over the last month? I know that we talked that we were going to talk about this today. We talked about it last month. Uh, over the last month, has there been any, uh, let's go it this way. Bill, what's been the highs and the lows when it comes to chemical safety over the last given time, whatever that is? Uh, well, we have some companies that are very, uh, very adamant about things being done the right way. And they do uh, follow up better on that. The training is much better. And so, so, so is that the key that makes them stand out? I mean, what makes them that they're high? What makes them so much better than everybody else? It's the, the training they put into it and then the follow up after the training. And that's, that's the follow up after the training is where the supervisors tend to fall down. Um, if I see it anywhere, that's where the where it happens. So like, you just named the high and the low. Yeah. The so, high is is that those people that follow the training or the education, they actually find out where they have an issue. The low is when people don't do that because they the education wasn't being followed, so the practice didn't have a measurable outcome. That's exactly true, and that. So again, I, I, I really preach at supervisors, you have to manage the process and not try to manage the result because uh, the place can look really nice, but it doesn't mean it's, it's safe. Bill, are you going to be at uh, the Clean Buildings Expo here in about three weeks? Um, no, sir. I've got, I've got more uh, SIMS assessments coming through and I have to this seems to be after the first of the year, everybody wants to do it. The budget money's there, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought maybe I'd see you. Uh, Bill and I had the opportunity to work together at the first one, and uh, I will be there <clears throat> on the 16th of March with a full rock star day. So if you're listening, folks, uh, and you want to go to a really good convention here at the first of the year, get the year started off right, the Clean Buildings Expo is up in Baltimore again, and uh, we'd be glad to have you here at the Rockstar program. Uh, Bill, is there any, like, partying things that we want to talk about before we leave chemical safety today? Uh, since you brought up Clean Building Expo, I'd like to make a couple comments on that, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead, go ahead. Um, you know, originally that was all called the NFM and T show, and it was primarily was facilities related, but because facilities did cleaning, there were some booths there that related to that. But as the cleaning has become more uh, of an issue for a lot of people, uh, this Queen Building Expo last year was the first time an entire section of that show was devoted exclusively to the cleaning industry. And uh, that, that made it a lot better for finding the things that you need if you're looking for cleaning. Because uh, NFM&T favored mostly facility management and building maintenance as opposed to cleaning. So uh, you, it's well worth your time to go. It's absolutely free. It costs nothing to get in there. Uh, and the, the show times they have open are usually three to four 
maybe even five hours some days and you got plenty of time to walk the, the floor and look at all the different things that are available so I recommend to anybody that can spare the time to go that that's it's an excellent show to go to. Well, what we'll do, Bill, is we'll put the show notes uh, uh, of the recording here. We'll put that in there, a link to that. Uh, the Academy is presenting a full one-day rock star workshop on the 16th. Um, Bill, it is not free. The show is free, but the workshop is uh, fee-based. So uh, just want to let everybody know that uh, uh, it is a good value, um, but uh, we had such a great response last year when we did that. And, you know, the, the NFMT is 20 years old last year, if I remember right. Yeah, it's, I started, I was with the very first one. I used to live in Baltimore, and it was really easy to go to. And I, when I moved away and we started to do other things, I didn't always, wasn't always able to make it. But uh, I'm always glad to go there. The two shows that I try to attend every year are the uh, NFM&T with now the Clean Building Expo and the ISSA show. They offer the most value for, for a trip that you invest in. Okay, so we've been talking with Bill Fellows here about um, you know chemical safety and the different shows, what you should wear as far as gloves, uh, goggles, mask, you know, dwell time processes. You know, all of these things make a difference. So, Bill, I want to ask a question before we end our show today. What are we going to talk about next month? Well. <laughs> like you said, it was we didn't plan on this topic this time, but I I just saw it as a big problem that needed to be addressed. But uh, um, I'd kind of like to go ahead and start going through our uh, those seven SDS terms that every custodian should know and understand. Uh, I there's not time in the podcast to cover the entire session that we use, but. We can take bits and pieces of it and start working our way through it, if that's all right with you. Oh, you just hit a topic that I guarantee you. We're just going to flood the airwaves with people wanting to listen about how to read an SDS. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, it, it is. It's not one of those things that a lot of people uh, like to talk about, and that's exactly why we're going to talk about it, because it needs to be talked about. Any, uh, any special thing other than just going to more SIMS assessments coming up this next month, Bill? Um, not for me. That's, that's been tying up my time. And, and uh, that's what I, all I have on the agenda through the end of March. I'm just kind of curious. Where are you going? Are you going local or are you going all over the country? Uh, well, I'll be going to uh, St. Louis, San Antonio. I'll be in the Baltimore area. Uh, we'll be in uh, Chicago and uh, up in, uh, in New Britain, Connecticut, if anybody knows where that is. And uh, uh, So you're not going to be in just one place. You're going to be all over the west. Or the, well, I guess the eastern part. You're not going over the west. Typically, everything I do is east of the Mississippi, but that there is a this one in San Antonio and St. Louis is on the other side. But um well, now that now now St. Louis isn't much on the other side of the river. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, Bill, it's been good having you on the show again. I appreciate you being here. 
Uh, Bill's on with us uh, every month. Uh, check our uh, schedule for our live podcast. We are sponsored by Gym Supply in Orlando, Florida, where they have been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. They've got four mega locations in the Central Florida area, cover the whole state. We're very happy to be broadcasting live on Podbean Live today and all year this year. So folks, if you have something that you'd like to talk about, get on the show. Now, I will tell you that on Monday, We've got a, a gentleman coming on the show that's going to be talking about equipment from a distributor's point of view, maintenance and all kinds of stuff. He's going to be joining us from, um, I believe, the Nevada area. And uh, that'll be Monday afternoon, 2 p.m. And then our big national broadcast on, as we talked here today, infection prevention, the coronavirus, and what we should and should be doing with uh, um Gosh, Gary, you can tell you, that's old age, I guess, creeping in, Bill, on me. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be talking with uh, the author of Infection Prevention for Dummies, Daryl Hicks. So uh, join us for that. Uh, we all like to say every time that we leave the air here, whatever you're doing, folks, keep it healthy, positive, and proactive. Bill, thanks for being on the show again with us, and we'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you later. Bye.